Welcome back, everyone, to yet another episode of the Blues on Parade podcast, where all we do is talk Chelsea and talk shit about everyone else. I'm your host, Andres, and that's right. Whether you like it or not, I am back in the host's chair, and today I am once again joined by the sexiest voice in all of podcasting and my fellow married man, Zach Curry. How are you, bud? I understand you had a, a nice dinner with an old friend tonight. Yeah, a couple old friends from high school. These are like the only guys that I still talk to. Psalm's one of them. He's included. Um, obviously not on the pod tonight, but yeah, no, it was a it was a good time. We uh, had a couple sake bombs. I'm a little buzzed, but that's not the worst thing ever because uh, I I feel like I've given some of my best podcasting performances while on the juice. So I'm gonna right. keep I'm gonna keep it rolling. I got my whiskey here. And uh, I'm ready to talk some football, man. Exciting, exciting games to talk about, to say the least. Yeah, that's for sure. I am not drinking whiskey. I am recording a little late tonight. And Psalm's just too busy being a lawyer right now. We're hoping to get him back on this weekend when we record our post-Brighton podcast. But before we get to that, uh, Zach, since we last recorded, Chelsea did play Man United at home, drew 1-1, and as of yesterday, defeated RB Salzburg in Salzburg 2-1. Mm-hmm. So, personally, I think that the two matches couldn't have been more different in terms of approach. I thought Potter came out scared versus United, which was weird being it as they were the home team. And then... Tuesday, a game that's probably got a little bit more at stake. I felt like he came with the tactics that were extremely up for it and putting Salzburg on the back foot. And I don't think I'm I'm being like coming out of way out of left field with these. We had six shots, two on target against United. And then against Salzburg, we had 15 shots, 11 on target. 48 possession, or 48% possession against United, 70% possession versus Salzburg, one expected goal versus United, and mind you, you have a penalty, it gives you one, <laughs> versus 1.49 expected goals against Salzburg. I just want to ask you, how do you feel about how the team was set up? And you can decide whether you want to talk about both or one match specifically. But kind of, do you think it was a big difference between the two, two times? I mean, the two matches. One, both deployed wing backs. Both had a back three at times. What was the big difference? Um, to be honest with you, with the United match, I was surprised that we started with a back three. You know, me and you, when we kind of went over our previews for it, we both anticipated a back four, or actually not anticipated. I'd say more so preferred a back four. Um, just based on the personnel that's available to us, and considering the fact that you know Kukurea hasn't really been that good in the back three, um, he wasn't very good again against United, and you know that's not really a knock on him in terms of you know his quality as a footballer. I mean, we know the value he can provide a team. I mean, he hit the ground running his first few matches with us, so we know what he can produce. Um, I know Graham Potter spoke a little bit about him um, having tonsillitis and then losing a couple pounds because he was hospitalized. That's totally understandable. You're already an undersized center back, and now you're losing more weight, um, you know, and, and being forced to play out of basically necessity because of our injury situation. So 
I feel like he was um, he got the call wrong in that regard in terms of starting Kukurea. I thought we should have started with a back four. It seems like, you know, United was basically all over us in terms of the press, the counter press. Um, they were way more physical than we were. They were pushing us around and dictating the pace of the game. Um, and we brought on the fixer in Mateo Kovacic, and he seems to be the guy that we bring off the bench who can just kind of calm this midfield down and bring some sort of control back into the game. So the United performance was a little um, underwhelming for me, especially that first half. I thought when Kovacic came on, we looked a lot better, but still plenty to be desired from guys like Aubameyang, guys like Raheem Sterling. Um, I didn't think uh, Loftus-Cheek was very good in the match until Kovacic came on. So a couple players that didn't necessarily seemed to be the opposite. Everybody that played against Salzburg was pretty damn good on the day. Um, and again, we lined up with a back three, but I think the difference with the Salzburg back three was that our two wingbacks were Pulisic and Sterling. So the intent is in the starting 11. We were going out there to score goals and create chances, not make sure we don't concede them, which I feel like was the main difference between the two starting 11s. And, and that's the one thing that I wanted to point out too. It's had both both sets were back threes. The big difference was the fact that in one of them you're you're playing a three four three, so your wingbacks are far more important in transition. And Aspilicueta is on the right side, meaning everything Chelsea had to come up the left. And, and I think I alluded to this, like you said in the last preview. I think that's the biggest sort of. Uh, kind of shackle that Kukurea and, and Chilwell, who I also don't think was was very good in that match, have going against them. No Reese James on the right side means that there's extremely higher standards that they need to meet. And unfortunately, they don't have a foil on the opposite side to take the pressure off of them. Now, when it came to yesterday's match, you add another midfielder. Now your wingbacks aren't part of the transition they are part of sort of the finishing product they're part of the the final third most exclusively they're lined up as wingbacks initially but it was a 3-3-3-1 the second sterling if i'm not mistaken yeah their heat maps are mostly on the op opponent's side of the pitch even though they're wingbacks and i think you know, this is the only setup where i want to see a back three when it comes to, you know, a, a non-Reese James life uh, at Chelsea right now. But against United, midfield with Casemiro was, was too physical. And, and Jorginho was kind of left-stranded. Like you said, Kovacic kind of played to our advantage in both games. But, but for me, I think wingbacks need to be used more sparingly if they're going to be the traditional... Tuchel style, 3-4-3, uh, more so than the more progressive triple three one. That's the the main thing I saw. And and Ron wanted to ask uh, a question. He, you know, you said the su early subs were a big difference, and he he pointed it out too. How has the benefit of having four subs now helped Potter fix some of the mistakes he's made? Five subs. My bad. Totally misread that. Yeah, essentially, we've now seen Potter use his subs frequently, early, late, 
just depending on what the game is showing and what have you noticed has been like key to the success of these subs yeah i think um i think potter wouldn't have wouldn't have been able or I wouldn't have been able. I don't think he would have been as willing to make those early substitutions if he only had three available to him. One of the things I love about him as a manager is that even if he doesn't get the starting 11 right, he can identify the mistakes and make the changes before the half. That at least gives our team a chance for, you know, those next... Like Kovacic, for example, came on in the 36th minute against United. That gave us a solid 10 minutes of putting United on the back foot and sort of changing the momentum of the game, shifting to our favor heading into the half. So having five subs is massive with that because if you only have three and you make that first sub in the first half, you have to save one for an injury or a cramp or anything along those lines. And the other one's most likely going to be tactical. So you're basically stuck with two subs in that situation as opposed to four, or technically five. Um, yeah, no, I, I think it's helped tremendously in that respect. And um, the one person, I think, the one manager that's benefited off of it more than anybody has been Graham Potter. Because, you know, when you come into a new team, granted, there's no training camp. He's not having a full summer to work with his players. They're not on a training pitch every single day for, you know, two, three months before the season starts working on formations and situations and set pieces and things like that. You know, he only had the team for about, what, two weeks um, after he got hired or that international break or an international break when the queen died. Um, He had that two or three weeks of time to kind of work with the team. And for most managers, it's not enough. If we had three subs, we'd probably lose against United. And we probably drop some more points along the way just because he's not going to be as willing um, to make those changes in the first half like he has. Having that buffer of an extra two or three subs in your back pocket going into the second half, knowing that you already made changes, cannot be stressed enough from a manager's perspective. And I know you can speak on that a little bit too, because I know you you do some coaching as well. So, I mean, imagine if you, I mean, we, we have unlimited subs in our, with our club teams because they're just kids. But imagine if you were just limited to three, how much more difficult that would make your life. So having five to these guys is just probably a blessing in disguise. And you hit the nail on the head when it comes to, to Potter using them to his advantage because he, he's still learning this team, right? Um, and I think it's so important because he is experimenting almost week to week at this point. And it's not just because trying to figure out the best 11, now there's injuries piling up too. Conte can't stay healthy. Koulibaly has a knee knock. East James is out for two months. So that's three guys that their previous managers, and even under Potter maybe, and Fofana, sorry, forgot about Fofana, were yeah. supposed to be starters, right? So that's mm-hmm. four players out of your 11 that you would have liked to count on. And on top of that, the month of October has been a extra nightmare for managers, twice a week, two, three days rest. And Potter came into a situation where he had to win now. He he obviously is getting the results in the Champions League. We're still undefeated altogether. So you know, while he's experimenting, he can fix the mistakes. He saw the back three wasn't working against Man U, switches to a back four brings on Kovacic you know in the there was another game where he did it too he pulled out Kukureya also at halftime do the same sort of thing 
So for me, it's it's allowing him to almost own up to the tactical errors, but also has, like you said, the three versus five. He's got two more two more subs to bring in the energy if the game gets stale or the ideas on the pitch become repetitive with the current group, as we saw in the nil-nil with Brentford when he brought Pulisic on. There was a little bit of spark at that point. So mm-hmm. to me, it's, it's, you know, a mix of getting to experiment without as much repercussion, uh, a lot of squad rotation to maintain levels of health and stamina with these players throughout. And the last, it's obvious, it's he still can bring an impact off the bench. So huge benefits to it. And I think in both matches, if I'm not mistaken, he used at least four subs. In both in both the United match and the Salzburg match, so players like Mason Mount uh, were able to get a break. You know, he, I don't think he started and start today's match, and he got pulled against uh, United. Against United as well. So, but yeah, props to him for using them because honestly, without that. You would have to see players that maybe aren't ready, or maybe this is how players end up getting played out of position. But anyways, subs are subs. He's using them. It's great to see the energy levels up. Now, a much different question. This one comes from Genomics at Genomics 2. <laughs> he asked us, is there a bigger shithouse, horrible bastard player in the league than Anthony? I'm guessing Gabriel just... Jesus, Eric Dyer, Richarlison. I think, yeah, Richarlison's a big one for me. I mean, Anthony's but... just Anthony's is just living up to like the Brazilian annoying like stereotype. He thinks he's Neymar, the so negative bad. Brazilian stereotype. Stereotype. Let's clarify yeah. that. Yeah, he is everything that's like every negative that people have about Neymar is Anthony. That's how I see yeah. it dribbling to a fault falling if he's breathed on dirty and late on his tackles when he's beat i mean i'm not temper tantrums yeah whining bitching complaining he ticks all the boxes for being just a complete little bitch (laughs) for lack of a better word but um here's the thing you know i was one of the first people to say that 100 million for him would be I mean, look, it, it's ridiculous for any player that's not Erling Holland and Mbappe level, but you know, I'm I'm actually surprised at how well he's adapted to the Premier League. To his credit, because I really yeah. thought he was just going to be a little too lightweight. I thought he was going to be sort of a Di Maria esque disaster level signing for Man United, but he actually looks like he's a half decent player for them. So. I'll tell you what, he looks 10 times more dangerous than Jaden Sancho does. I'm not so sure he's already kind of miles ahead of him. I So far, my here's my thing with Anthony so far. I don't think he's a game changer. Like, he scored a goal against Manchester City, but they lost 6-3. to three. And I know he scored against Everton, but even that to me is not... He, people should be scoring against Everton when you're Man United. You know Lampard's doing a good job now, and 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 
stabilized it somewhat. Yeah, stabilized it to an extent, but it's still not the greatest team. So, no, I'm not. I don't think he by any means hit the ground running. I think, sure, he's he's not getting completely pummeled by the physicality of the league. He is, like Genomics said, a bit of a bastard. So, that's sure. Give him props for that. But for ninety million, you're expecting way more output. He needs to be a world beater, and he's not. But but to your point, like, yeah, I see it. He's not a game-changing type player. He's not a player that's going to come in and put up, like, I don't know, for, for reference, Sun Hyung-min numbers. He's not going to put up double figures or flirt with double figures, figures in each category every single year. I feel like he's just... Um, he could, I, I, if he has the right guidance, and if he could sort of keep his decision making slash temper under control, I feel like he could actually be a a a, a pretty important player for United because the one v one threat he possesses, I don't think any of their other wingers can do that. I think Jaden Sancho has found the Premier League to be way too fast for him. He's not quick enough to play out on the flank, in my opinion, week in week out. And then, um, you know, Ilanga's still pretty young. So you know, Anthony basically has to be their guy in that respect. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I don't want to talk too much about him, but... Um, is, he, is he ever going to live up to a 90 million price tag in your view? No, 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 no. The only way he'll do that is if he puts up like a 20-goal season, which isn't going to happen. Yeah. Um, one last thing before I kind of move on from specifically the United match. Did you... what? <laughs> How do I put this? The last five minutes of the match, I knew they were going to score. Yeah, I had a feeling. It just felt like everything was too good to be true. The fact that we got lucky enough to, to earn a penalty and then is so unfortunate. So unfortunate for Keppa because Casemiro tries that header 10 more times and doesn't score once. If you give Kepa 10 more tries to make that save, he makes it inches, inches. And it's so unfair that the man gets a hand on the ball, comes off the post, and is just second too late. Man, it's it's a bummer. You know, it feels like all our draws so far have felt like we've lost two points. And I think actually this time around, uh, funny enough, I think it's the t- the one time where I think we got lucky to draw. I don't think... It felt undeserved, honestly, for either team. I thought Ten Hag also played extremely negative for the potential of uh, what their team can also do. So, anyway, it, it was one of those games where Keppa again was our man of the match, regardless of the goal that they scored. A great one v one save against Rashford when somebody played him on through and he rushed out and basically smothered him or smothered the ball, rather. And then there was another play where Rashford was 1v1 with Thiago Silva and had a step on him to the right and then kind of tried to whip it across the goal. And I don't know if every keeper... I, we, we see that we see a, that kind of shot you know, hit the inside of the net a lot, but uh, Keppa was actually really good with his reactions there. So um, overall on the day, I, I think he was still our best player. And also, there was that one sequence in the back where it was between him, Thiago Silva, and I want to say Chilwell, where Kepa rushed off his line, got the ball calmly, played like a five-yard pass sideways to Chile. Chile played it back to Kepa, and they had a little triangle there, and they actually built out of the back 
against United's press, against the run of play midway through the second half. So, again, just props to Keppa and his ability to sort of keep a cool head, especially in a big match like that. For him to not only be on the run of form he is, but to come into a game against Man U and live up to those prior performances, is uh, it says a lot about his character. So, good on him. He continues to get better. And we, we've been... Uh singing his praises a lot as well as mason mount i think it's time the hashtag cobra crew gets to speak up a little bit we've been quiet for too long and before our listeners think that i'm just gonna go full bias and, and wax poetic about kovacic i'll let you tell me your thoughts on his performances the past month or so i mean have you seen i feel like he's been a uh, unspoken or unsung while everybody else catches form yeah, um, he's reminding every Chelsea fan that he is our most important midfield player when N'Golo Conte is not healthy because he's the only midfield player we have that can play both sides of the ball and do so at an extremely high level. And if him stripping down into his tidy whities after the Man U match doesn't make you love him enough, just go ahead and watch the Salzburg match. Not just the goal because he only scores bangers, but... Just look at his overall performance defensively, the shift he puts in, his ability to beat players 1v1, break the lines of the initial press by dribbling or passing. Um, he he never got gets caught waiting on the ball or sitting on the ball or taking too many touches or anything along those lines. It's He is easily our most important midfield player. So I know you're going to sing his praises a lot, so I'll just kind of let you finish off the point here. But for me, if I had to kind of cap off my analysis of Kovacic this season, it's he is our most important midfield player, period. Yeah, I mean, I think that makes it obvious for me about how important he is to, to deploy what Potter is looking to do. Call it Potter ball, whatever you want to call it. The fact that the first few matches, well, the first match I think Jorginho still started, but then Jorginho disappeared. There was mm-hmm. three or four matches in a row where Jorginho did not play. And we rest RLC, which is still playing. Everything is still kind of clicking. We even beat, I think, yeah, Jorginho started when we demolished Milan next to Kovacic. Now, move Kovacic from the equation as a starting center mid, and he has become the first sub each time because Potter be- realizes shit. We need to bring him back in. Whether it was Kukureya off to, to add, to go back to a back four, or whether it's to remove a wing back, push RLC wide, and bring Kovacic back to the middle. He is the, the, the piece that's making the whole machine kind of work. And talk about the, the work he puts, the dribbling and whatnot. I mean, we've, we've talked about it before. Jorginho sometimes is just not direct enough. And, and even if he's given the license still is just biologically in his genes a metronome and he's looking to just keep the ball moving and sometimes that is too backwards too passive which can put his head down dribble forward or or try that sneaky through ball or just kind of give you that direct ball to your wingers so he allows this extremely fluid formation changing week in week out system to work because 
doesn't like to sit around think five, six, seven seconds with the ball without it being moving. If he, yeah. he, he turns, he's looking for either the pass or he's taking off for 10 or so yards until a defender gets moved. He doesn't need to be as automatic like Jorginho, who Jorginho doesn't look up because he knows, okay, well, I'm going to have two center backs behind me, a right back on the right, and he just knows, like, I can play the ball there and someone's there, which is just going to make the game sort of happen. Now, I would love, the one thing that's still missing is, is this, these shooting performances to come a little brighter because there are times where Kovacic finds himself inside of the box and I... He runs out of room. He's not going to score, and and the, the pass might get a little tricky there. But if I need to be a little nitpicky, that would be it. That in this system, I feel like he should be getting himself in the back end of some scoring on his own. Mm-hmm. But I mean, he started this match against uh, Salzburg, and and we saw what we're supposed to be seeing week in and week out, right? It's the two-touch passing, the movements, the runs, the allowing the wingers to to have the space to go 1v1 because, again, Kovacic is a threat progressing the ball. It's not just, oh, Jorginho's just going to pass it, or even RLC, who's a little bit more timid still, he still kind of doesn't come at you every other time he gets the ball. So I think that... Along with Mountain Keppa, who who have the more highlight level performances because Mount assists, Mount scores, and then Keppa's making ridiculous saves. I think that Kova, as long as he can stay healthy, we're gonna continue to get the most out of him. And, and that's the part that kind of it's almost like a hesitant pride. It's like I want him to play and I want him to always be there. But how much can you really push? Kovacic's body before it it sort of has a little nag I mean apparently he's been playing on an injury for the past month so my theory is right what's that I've had an inkling I I, I've said it a couple pods ago that you know this is actually before he kind of hit this run of form but I said you know he doesn't necessarily look 100% it looks like he is struggling with something um but I think I think he's at the point now where Maybe he is still injured. Maybe he is still fighting a little, you know, nagging injury or whatever it might be with his knee. But he's hit such a good run of form now to where I think adrenaline kicks in for most of the performances for him, at least. And he does. He's he's one of those players where you can tell he feels it after the match the next day. <laughs> he's not feeling it the day of. I'm I'm hoping that you know, Potter's done a good job that when Mateo Kovacic starts, he'll get pulled. Anywhere between the 60th and 75th minute. I'm As hoping. He should. Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, if we go all the way back to Sari, that was the healthiest Kovacic was, and Sari was automatic about removing Kovacic from the starting 11 with Ross Barkley around that yep. time frame. So who knows? Maybe this this data analytics approach of, of the Bowley era really is uh, looking at those sort of things, and, and Potter, who's Again, a very much uh, student of the game has noticed it too. But there's two other players that I want to highlight who I think deserve it as well. Like I, obviously they're they're more your squad members right now. They're young, so it's more about where they're gonna go as much. Like if they're performing 
this level today, their ceiling can be, and that's both Trevor Chalaba and Connor Gallagher. I mean, we've we've now had over a full season with Trevor Chalaba, and when he starts Chelsea, he's still unbeaten. And I think enough is enough for people to think that that's just chance. I mean, he, sure, he had a few mistakes last season under Tuchel, but those always came with him off the bench when he's coming in cold into a game and he's trying to add energy and, and, and make a change, which a young player can lead to mistakes. Cough, cough, red card for Connor Gallagher earlier this season. But... Alba has started every match since Fofana went down. And again, as I think he's earned to be a starter when Fofana comes back. Oh, even when Koulibaly's healthy, I think Chalaba still gets picked ahead of him. As he's our number guess. two right now. Yeah, behind Thiago Silva, it's Chalaba. In this match, he's got six, he had six clearances, four out of five ground duels won, two out of three aerial duels won. 87% pass accuracy, 8 out of 11 long balls completed. So, I mean, I don't know why, and, and maybe it's now more the media than anything else. They love to throw defenders into the, like, the rumor mill, you know. Even the last month, we're still being linked with Gavardio for an excessive amount of money. And you and I both said it in the preseason, and we'll, and I'll double down again. We do not need to spend... Anywhere above 40 million, I would say. I already think targeting somebody above the 40 million price tag is too much when you have Trevor Chalaba on this team. Don't see the point. Don't see, oh, well, we don't know if his ceiling is going to be as high. Bullshit. The man has shown that he's improving. He is an athlete. He is composed. His passing numbers are only getting better. 8 out of 11 long balls is Rudiger Thiago level numbers. Hasn't put a foot wrong. Has already been tested against the likes of Leao, Ashford, Sancho, Anthony. I mean, what else can we ask out of Trevor Chalaba, Zach? Not much. To be honest with you, you go out and spend $90 million to get a player like Trevor Chalaba. If Trevor Chalaba is wearing an RB Leipzig jersey, he's going for $90 million. English tax or not, it, it, it doesn't matter. The bottom line is, regardless of his age or anything like that, he's showing the poise um, and the maturity that's required to succeed at the highest level. And he hasn't put a foot wrong this entire season as a result. And to be fair, I was going to check, I wanted to kind of bounce off of your point about him making a few mistakes at the back end of last season. It wasn't just him making the mistakes. The whole team was making the mistakes. Tuchel was sure. making the mistakes by selecting the same damn team every single week. Um, the team was fucking up in terms of their results, the energy levels, the confidence. The, we all know the... I don't know what you want to call it, um, but, but but you know of the issues, quote-unquote, that were going on you know, behind the scenes in terms of the, the player communication with the coach and all that good stuff, so... You take all those things into consideration, and how do you expect anybody to really succeed at that level outside of a guy like Tiago Silva? Tiago Silva is just a freak of nature and will succeed in any sort of circumstance, but a young Trevor Chalaba, maybe not so much. Fast forward to this season, I completely agree. I think he's our number two. I think when Fofana comes back and Koulibaly, he should still be the second name on the team sheet if we're talking center backs. 
And then in terms of investing in the future, it's, it's pretty simple. We do need more depth. It's not a secret to anybody. Tiago Silva and Koulibaly are both on the wrong side of 30. Same thing with Dave. So you really only have two center backs now um, on the team that can potentially be there for the long haul and Fafana and Chalaba. So I do think that you eventually need to sort of sprinkle in a little bit of experience in that regard, but I don't think going out and overspending on another player upwards of 40 to 50 million, like you said, is necessary by any stretch of the imagination. I think you could go find a bargain center back that could easily be your third or fourth in line. And then you just focus on developing the fuck out of Chalaba and, and Fofana because they the sky's the limit for both of them in terms of their actual star quality and what they could bring to the table. So um, I'm, I'm extremely happy for Trevor Chalaba. You know, it, it goes beyond just the defending. Like you said, the passing numbers are ridiculous as well. But something I kind of wanted to highlight that we don't talk about enough is he's actually a threat on set pieces. Teams have to yeah. game plan for him on set pieces. He almost scored against United. Um, he, he had a header that hit the top crossbar. I thought De Gea blocked it at first, but it was actually, um, he just kind of overhit it, put a little bit too much on it. Um, and, you know, he's, he comes up with the occasional goal for us every now and then, and that's extremely important. Now, you know, that's just the stuff that he does on the pitch, but I also think he has a little bit of Rudiger in him in terms of the shithousing aspect of the game. He's a big physical guy who's ext- he, he can keep up with most wingers at full speed. Um, so he's going to get into, into all these different entanglements throughout the 90 minutes. And when he goes chest, and, and, and the funny thing is, is, you know, if he takes somebody out, he's not just turning around and walking away. He's like Rudy. He'll go chest to chest with them and bark at them and then go back to his position and set himself back up. So he also plays those mind games as well. I mean, for me, he is quickly becoming my favorite player on the squad this season um, just because he slotted in in a time where there was a lot of uncertainty with the lineups and a new manager and this and that. And he's also replacing a shiny 70 million pound signing in Fofana. And he, can, he just comes in and, and fits in basically seamlessly. And like I said, he looks like that 70 or that 90 million pound player that the, you know, the English media wants to constantly link us to. Um, Good for him, man. I'm, I'm, I couldn't be happier with his performances this season. And if he stays our number two between now and the end of the season, I don't care. Not a problem. If he stays as our number two next season or even moves up to our number one next season, guess what? Not a problem. Um, so, yeah, uh, I'm extremely high on the guy. And now, Andres, as my last point, we did see him play in the middle of a back three, too. So now we know that. he can't only play on the right or the left. But he could play up the middle and sort of be that leader that points and shouts at his players and organizes defenses. So what else do you possibly want out of a Cobham product at the center back position? Well, that was going to be my point. So you, you at one point were saying that we were going to need to add sort of a veteran presence soon because you know, Tiago is definitely on the wrong side of 35 now. And, and Koulibaly is in his early 30s. I actually want to disagree. I think adding right profile of a center mid in front of them would be enough because here's here's how i see it and tiago silva can give us one more year i don't know how yeah i didn't think of that possibly before this season lobali's gonna be fine he's got a couple years so rev is 23 right now in a couple years he'll be 25 26 fauna will be 
I want to say like an old 23 because he's been starting for Leicester. He knows the Premier League. He's been here plenty. Yeah, he has the experience. And then comes back Levi Colwell next season as the true depth option, a player that Graham Potter brought to Brighton before he even became Chelsea manager. So have Thiago Silva, Koulibaly, and Trev right now as your three starters because Fofana, you want to probably give them the time to come back. Then you have Fofana and Levi Colwell as your backups. And Thiago Silva needs a break in the middle. Slide Trevor, Trevor Chalaba in the middle. Koulibaly needs a break on the left. Trevor Chalaba has already proved this season that he can also play on the left, something that Tuchel never dared to do. And then obviously we know he's solid on the right. In his big long-term future, I do think he would be the center player with Fofana being more on the right, Fofana has crazy amounts of pace, and I think that Trevor Chalaba has a, big, a more, much higher passing range than, than uh, Fofana does, which definitely suits the middle. Then on the left side, whether it's Colwell, whether it's Kulabali, whether it's Kukureya, when we do these kind of crazy... Uh, I heard the, the latest way of describing his role in the back three is the elbow back. I don't know. People mm-hmm. are getting too, too kind of the fuck is that <laughs> yeah exactly it's it's just a hybrid it's a hybrid role but anywho i think that chalaba just again props to him for staying props to him for for being patient and for showing us what he obviously believed from day one because rewind a little bit over a year ago and we were shipping him off on another loan so yeah now the other Loney who came back this season, who also had a rough start to the season and is now operating in all cylinders, Connor Gallagher. I'm going to go through his his numbers real quick, and then I want to explain why I think Connor is, is so key in what we're trying to do right now without Reese James. So 86% pass accuracy, three key passes, four out of five crosses completed, three out of three long balls, uh, seven out of nine ground duels won, one out of two aerials won. And uh, two of the three key passes should have been assists. There was a perfect cross to Kai Havertz where Kai had all the space in the world and just headed it straight at uh, whatever the the crazy good keeper for Salzburg was today. And yeah. then early in the first half in transition, he found a pocket of space behind Kai and Aubameyang kind of cutting in from the right side into the middle. And then did a quick turn and, and a, kind of a quick snap through ball into the box to Obama Yang. And, and he just didn't react quickly enough to control the ball that, in my opinion, should have been a goal any other day. Now, look at all the numbers. And the only word I can put into this performance is complete. The thing about Gallagher that I think is so important, especially without Reese James, is that this dude can cover so much ground the moment we lose the ball. And defensively, I think he is the answer to allowing us to operate without Reese James. Because even though he's deployed, quote-unquote, centrally, he can defend. Like, go look back at the Wolves game. We looked fantastic in a back four with Aspie at right back. Why is that? Honor was at the right side of midfield ahead of him and was covering his ass when Aspie lost the ball forward. I think mm-hmm. it worked out this way, too. Lissick was a right wing back and didn't have to defend because Connor Gallagher was right there winning the ball back. Seven out of nine times he won the ball when going in for a duel. 
it's absolutely insane the sort of motor this kid has. And when you let him sort of defend from the front, uh, the way that Potter has kind of allowed him to, instead of shackling him into the pivot, it is, it's the sort of things like, it's a dirty work. It's not, mm-hmm. it's not fancy. It's not something that's going to get you in sports centers, top 10 plays, but it allows the rest of the team to operate. And I think at this point, like, we're going to do a three-man midfield. I hope Gallagher is there on the right side because East James won't be back until we're until it's 2023. So, yeah, I don't know if you have anything to add to that. No, I, you know, I think we were, I think the comparisons to Mason Mount are valid, but I don't think they're as solid as they were pre prior to this season for the reasons you mentioned. I think defensively, what he provides, and I'm not just talking about the counter press or the or the press in general, because I think Mount and Gallagher both do that at an extremely high level. Um, but with me, it's more so his defensive positioning when we're not in possession. He knows where to be. He knows where the passing lanes are. And he knows what the other team's going to try and do with the ball. So he really does a good job of positioning himself to cut off those passing lanes. Um, or those outlet passes to jumpstart the Salzburg attack. Now, Salzburg was playing a long ball game, right? They were just trying to use their pace up top. They have a bunch of young attackers, and they're trying to outrun that and, and try and outrun us. And Gallagher was really quick to identify that. And I feel like a reason why he was able to get so many of those duels won is because he was oftentimes stepping up to the outlet passer and preventing him from either receiving the ball or spinning to make that pass. He would get caught every single time, and Gallagher would just be standing right there, stick his foot out, and nick the ball off of him and continue play. So um, he's been absolutely fantastic for us in the last couple games. Actually, since he scored his goal, I think that did him wonders in terms of um, you know just his confidence and sort of getting his A game back. But uh, for me, he is definitely looking like the type of player that can be a hybrid 8-10, more so than just yeah. an out-and-out 10 or attacking mid. He has the ability to track back. He has the physicality to do so too, which is a lot different than Mason Mount. He's a bigger body, a bigger boy. He's a lot thicker. So defend. He can. He can. He can obviously go into those challenges at a at a higher velocity, and he could also take more of a beating too, which is why I think he's a bit of an eight more so than a ten. So look, man, the future is extremely bright for Chelsea. I mean, if we're gonna talk just purely in terms of having a spine for next season. You know, our goalkeeper situation seems pretty solid at the moment. We have two borderline world-class keepers that are fighting for the number one spot. We have, you know, uh, uh, Slonina, who we just picked up as well, who's going to be probably the future. All indications are showing. Then you look to our defense. We have Trevor Chalaba and Cole Will, Reese James. You go to the midfield. We have Mount Gallagher. Then you look up top. We got guys like Broja. So, I mean, if you want to talk about bringing back the glory days of the early Abramovich era where we had that spine of Czech, Terry, Drogba, Lampard, Essien, you know, you name it. This is going to be this generation's equivalent because we have, we have players with the potential to be elite slash world class in all of those positions. And as long as you have those positions locked down, you could fill in the gaps on the wings or at the outside backs. It's not a big issue. Um, so yeah, no, I, I think he's going to be absolutely key for us in the future. And, um, I'll be absolutely shocked if Connor Gallagher's career goes in any other direction besides being at Chelsea for six to eight years on the spin easy. 
it's it's a nice I think you're gonna get your twenty bucks at the end of this season from Psalm easily now. I yeah under Tuchel and, and easiest bet I ever had to make, man. I mean, if Tuchel stayed here, I, I think the narrative would be far more different trying to convert Gallagher into a six, which which was looked awful. awful over and over and over again. Now Ron wanted to ask us we, we were singing the praises of these two guys, and now Ron wanted to ask us about Gorilla and Raheem Sterling. Because he thinks they've been completely different players since Potter sort of took over. And and he's just trying to ask us, what do you think is the, the reason why? And, and I'll let you go first on this one. So with Kukurea, I kind of touched on it a little bit earlier. Um, I know that I kind of went on that rant a couple pods ago about him not being able to play at center back. I think he's able to play there. I just think it has to be a more of a situational type of thing as opposed to an out and out. He's, you know, going to start there every single week. But, you know, I did mention also that he was hospitalized with tonsillitis. I believe it was tonsillitis. But I know he was hospitalized. Um, That's what Graham Potter said. And he said that, you know, he did lose a couple kilos because of it. Listen, guys, people don't understand the toll that it can have on a body to lose a couple pounds at the professional level, especially when you're an undersized player playing in a position where you're going up against the biggest guys on the pitch. So I'm not really too fussed about Kukurea. Um, I think long-term he's going to be a great signing. Whether or not he lives up to the $60 million price tag is still going to be up to debate, but um, I'm not down on him whatsoever. I think, I think he'll come good once he gets a little bit of a momentum under his legs. Now Raheem Sterling's a little bit different. He has the potential to be our most influential attacker this season. And I think that's why he came to Chelsea. So he can be that guy. So he can go back to hitting that top level Premier League Player of the Year nominee type of Raheem Sterling. And the fact is, we just haven't seen it. Now, I don't know if it's the Potter effect on him. Um, I'm sure him playing at a wingback position is a little bit different to him. But at the same time, if we're going to talk about the X's and O's of what he's being asked to do, just look at the Salzburg game. He's getting deployed as a wing back to be an attacking player, not a defender. So naturally, you would think that a guy with his dribbling ability and a guy with his pace, his range of passing, his, his, his ability to finish and pop up in the right spaces at the right time inside the box, you think all of that would come to light playing in a wing back position because of the way that we set up our wing backs. And he just hasn't done that. Um, I think the thing I've been most disappointed with him is when he receives the ball, it almost feels like he's holding up our attack more so than he's helping it. Sometimes he takes too many touches. Other times he's just not really too fussed about taking his man on and completing a dribble and creating something for himself and willing himself into the box. Um, So for me, Raheem Sterling is definitely the concern here. Um, the good news is is that we actually have some attacking depth now. Kai Havertz seemed to figure out the scoring touch. And he actually had a very good performance against Salzburg, which I'll be the first one to put my hand up and admit that. He was he was awesome against them, created multiple chances, probably could have had more than one goal even. He should have had an assist too with, to Aubameyang, but Raheem Sterling just didn't do much. It wasn't a matter of him getting in the right places and missing his chances like Aubameyang. It wasn't a matter of him... 
you know, um, just having a sort of off day. This is the last couple matches now. So if I'm Graham Potter, I'm looking at the rest of the squad. I'm looking at the rest of my attacking options and thinking, maybe, maybe we should start to shorten the leash a little bit on this guy so he can just kind of get into the flow of things. Um, you know, maybe give Pulisic a run out on his side. He's looked really bright when, um, you know, when he plays off of the left. He even looked bright playing off of the right. Maybe go with another double striker formation with Havertz and Broja or Aubameyang and Havertz or any combination of those three um, and have Mount or Gallagher sit in behind. You know, I think we just kind of need to experiment and tweak the squad a little bit to sort of play more to Raheem Sterling's strengths to kind of build up that confidence back into him. Um, but at the same time, if you're just going to keep deploying them over and over and over again in the same position and it's just not going to click, I feel like you're hurting him more so in the long run. You're just kind of killing his confidence at that point. I mean, what do you think? I think the thing that comes to mind to me is what changed, and, and I keep harping on it, Reese James. You don't have Reese James, and, and where did Potter start you know, experimenting? Greya, you're now going to play at the back. Uh, Raheem Sterling, we're going to try you here. We're going to try you there. He's played on the right. He's played on the left. He's played as a striker. He's played as a supporting striker. I think Raheem Sterling for the past how many years at City has been in a very, very defined system. Whether he was on the right or the left. False was, nine. Uh, he played a lot of false nine. That last season, yeah. Regardless, he was... In the comfort zone mm -hmm. everything was very much you know where to go here i know if i pass it here i'm going to go here and this this is how the chances are going to get created the cutbacks the tap-ins yada 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 now with kukurea same thing he was playing strictly left wing back with with tukul and only got slid back for for injury once i believe and he had a very strict set of rules. New place, whatever. Here's what you're going to do. And he was killing it doing that. And then the injuries came. We lost Reese James. We rested Tiago. And then or we lost Reese James. We lost Fofana. And then we have to keep resting Tiago. And then we lost Kulubali. So now, Kukureya going to play as a left back? Is he going to play as a left wing back? Is he going to play as a center back? And, and things are changing left and right. Again, then not having Reese James on the right means that everything's going to have to come up to the left, which then means a lot more touches. So to me, I don't think it's at the... The Kukurea one, I, I put it more on the fact that a lot more responsibility on the left side altogether and there is no way of progressing the ball up the right when you deploy someone like Aspilicueta at right wing back or right back. Raheem Sterling one. I think it's just, again, under Tuchel, everything was stale. So then when Raheem Sterling was doing something, it was fun. It was different. He was taking the game by the horns. Now the game's a little bit more open, more fluid. There's not repeated patterns of play over and over and over again that he saw a lot of at City. And so now it's about meshing and clicking with your, your teammates a little bit more, which Again, Raheem hasn't had to do in years. So you you take out the instruction manual and, and now he's got to figure it out. So I think 
both are going to get out of this rut. For me, I, I think the big one at the end of the day is the fact that without Reese James, the ability to sort of rely on on the same people being in the same places week in and week out has is out the window. And so for different for different reasons for both players, they're affected heavily. Um, yeah. Now, a little bit of off-the-pitch news in another section of the holy bully guacamole. Chelsea have hired Lawrence Stewart, technical director. He is currently, I believe, part of the sort of scouting and, and sporting director team at Monaco. And he had this to say, I'm delighted to be joining Chelsea and excited about the vision and direction of the club under the new ownership group. I'm excited to join them and to help them build a world-class global sporting organization to consistently win on the pitch at the highest levels and provide player pathways to help develop our talent. Now, Stewart's not going to join us immediately. The, the articles didn't really give me any sort of like, concrete date, but apparently he has to wrap things up at Monaco before he can join fully. So I don't know if it's like one more transfer window or if this is like a summer thing. Uh, we'll be in place to also help implement the the multi-club system Boley has been alluding to now throughout the whole summer. And, you know, I, I didn't really know, you know Lawrence Stewart's name and, and profile. So I did a little digging and most recently known for Profiting a minimum of eighty million for Aurelian Chouameni, so including him in the Monaco system, and then profiting eighty million—that's huge. And he was also part of similar role under both Red Bull Leipzig and all their sort of teams. So players that came through under him, Mateus Cunha, making it to Leipzig, then sold for profit to Atletico Madrid. Christopher Nkunku, who. Every Chelsea fan should know who he is now because we're linked with him. And they'll and Red Bull will probably profit anywhere between sixty and eighty million for him. Americans recognize the name Tyler Adams. Leipzig has also profited about twenty million or close to that number from him. And Huang He Chan, who is more of a threat under Salzburg, and then got an eventual move to Wolves, also profit. All of these guys are just examples of what you can expect from Lawrence Stewart. Again, his job is going to be to sort of help with the scouting, help identify talent, and essentially turn profit if the talent doesn't work out. So, Zach, what are you, are you thinking about this hire? What what does that make you think is the is the big picture here? I think it's a long term future of Chelsea. Um... I think it's important for Bowley, and this is something that I think is pretty evident to all of us now. It's that as as a well as the prior machine was oiled under Abramovich, in terms of the way the club ran, it wasn't enough for Bowley to sort of keep those key people around. He seems like the kind of guy that very much wants to be hands on with the decision making, very much wants the hiring and firing and the staffing at Chelsea to be very much his hiring, firing, um, and his choosing of the staff. So in a way, it does feel like he's going on a bit of a power trip from the outside looking in. If you're not a Chelsea fan, you're probably thinking, oh my God, this guy cleaned out house and he's bringing in all these new people to sort of run the show. But I think he's being smart about it. 
he's bringing in guys that have a similar mentality to him and that that will abide to a certain philosophy that you know he clearly abides by as well so I'm all for the fact that we're being so proactive with this. You know, I, I, I was reading um, I was reading up that we were actually looking to, sp- to fill the sporting director role as well. And, um, you know, that's all obviously going to be key. But I did notice, and also in that article I read, I wish I could remember where it was from for the life of me. But now that I put myself on the spot, I can't. But long story short, the article was also saying that Todd Bowley does want to be... Um, hands-on with the transfer process this upcoming summer as well it they said that he enjoyed the last summer he he really liked the fact that he got to speak with a lot of the teams and a lot of the directors in person in person and establish those relationships in person and i think that's incredibly important i mean you look under the abramovich era look how many enemies we created um you know just between club and club from one us being so strict and from two not necessarily having the most personable approach in terms of our dealings with other clubs right it was very much a business transaction and i think what Bowley's doing he's going out to these guys he's whining and dining them he's buying them dinners you know he's establishing personal you know face-to-face relationships and interactions with these people in in high positions of other clubs and i think that's just going to put us in a better position globally in the football world um it'll be a lot easier to negotiate with rb leipzig if he's you know buying dinner for the salzburg guys you know on tuesday after the champions league match it it just goes hand in hand it's common sense it's good business and he's a good businessman so you don't expect anything less from him in that respect but going back to this uh lawrence stewart hire from my understanding the technical director role is the global football operations so more so the big picture not necessarily first-team, day-to-day operations. Yeah, that sounds about right. I think sporting director does the immediate buys, and this guy will be doing more of the, you know, bringing in players that can maybe succeed. And I'm I'm now theorizing here. Bully's talked about buying a Portuguese team now to be part of the system. So maybe he's looking at a young guy that can... Uh, fit into the Liga Nos early age, but has potential to then move on to a higher league. So he's the one that's sort of looking to play sort of 3D chess and be five steps ahead, right? This is the guy yeah. that that finds you your Sadio Mane and plays him at RB Salzburg before Sadio Mane goes and you know makes it big in the Premier League. You know, like that's the kind of moves this guy will be looking to make. That Nabi Kate does progression into the from Salzburg to to Red Bull or mm-hmm. RB Leipzig or your even Sesco to use a current player. Sesco is now at Salzburg already has a deal to go to, to Leipzig and it's on a discount because you own both teams. Yeah. So, and, and, and I think, sorry to cut you off, but I think a key aspect of this hire is we're not necessarily going out and getting the flashiest name as a technical director. I know we've seen a lot flashier names and there are flashier names in world football. That's a given. But the point is, and like you said, Andres, it's not necessarily all right, we're going to hire this guy so he can seal the deal on, you know, this the 80 or 90 million pound players. No, we're hiring this guy because he's able to identify talent at such a young age and he's able to make the correct decisions for their career path. So they're able to develop and turn into the players that they can be um, by the time they're 21, 22, 23. They're already ahead of the curve. 
that's the reason why we brought him in. And I feel like the fact that we're also looking into buying another club to sort of, or quote unquote, feeder club, for lack of a better word, since that's a popular buzzword. Um, this philosophy is just going to help 10 times more. And I think Boley really identified that, hey, you know, I, the, the biggest mistake the Abramovich era made, if there were any, was we spent too much damn money. We didn't trust in the youth as much. And now we're starting to see in the last three or four years how important Cobham could be in terms of saving us ridiculous amounts of money. And it'll allow us to focus our time, effort, and resources into scouting networks and, you know, building a feeder club that can have these players from our scouting networks and, you know, promoting the youth into the first team and, you know, finding the right loan opportunities for players. Or that could also mean instead of going out every summer and buying three 40 million pound players, we might only need to buy one player that summer. And now we have a hundred million to play with. So it, it will put us in a completely different ballpark in terms of transfer strategy. I know I've seen a lot of complaints about, you know, how we're going to be linked with lower level names and it's going to be a project. And some people just aren't so patient with that. But look, you know, do you want another Zappacosta? Do you want another Danny Drinkwater? Do you want another Ross Barkley? Um, you know, I could keep going on and on. I could, do you want another Bakayoko? It, it, the, the list never fucking ends, you know? And I don't think Bowley wants that blood on his hands <laughs> this time around. You know, I, I think he's very much of the mindset of, we'll use the players we have that are good enough. And in the meantime, I'm going to put this system in place to where we can find more of them. That way, in the long run, we'll be spending less net. Um, or, or actually, we'll be spending less out of our own pockets, and we'll, it'll be more of a sort of you know, net spend idea. So I'm all for it, man. I, I, I love the idea that we weren't just looking at one option, that we were looking at Vivelli or Vivel, whatever his name was also. So it just yeah. goes to show you that you know he's doing his homework, he's asking questions, and... If this is the hire that he thinks is the right one to carry us into the future, who the fuck are we to judge? Because so far, all the hires he's made have been pretty spot on so far. Just look at Graham Potter. He's doing all right. <laughs> and speaking of Potter, this weekend is the Potter Derby. Yeah. He goes back to the south side of, of England to face his former home in Brighton. And, and before I get into it, Zach, do you think he's going to get a warm welcome or is it going to be sort of a angry crowd i would totally understand if they were angry i totally get it but i think overall it'll be a warm welcome um and the only logic for that is brightens by the beach and people that live by the beach just tend to be a little bit nicer <laughs> other than that i if, if he walked out there and they booed the fuck out of him i wouldn't blame him what whatsoever i think he kind of did leave them high and dry but at the same time yeah. if a club like chelsea comes by you don't say no i just i don't know if if they'll boo him per se but i just don't think he's gonna get a hero's welcome either you know like it's not gonna be like when lampard came to the bridge you know what i mean like no it, it's, no it's not anything like that i think that ends are are definitely the right to feel slated and it doesn't help when new manager Deserby in his first five matches is winless two draws and three losses yeah. times he didn't even score so go from being in the top four at the beginning of the season with potter and everything is just working to perfection and, and everything is good vibes and then he's like i'm out peace i'm gonna take over for a team that's below you at the table right now 
and I mean, I, yeah, it's a little bit different, but yeah, to get into this match, Deserby has played five matches. He um hasn't won yet, but he's deployed a three four two one, a three five two, and a four four two. He did draw Liverpool three to three when um, Trossard had a hat trick. And and that was under that that was the one time they deployed that four four two. Um, while he did have a hat trick, I believe that that's apart from him, only one other player has scored. So not many players are scoring at the moment. And Welbeck, who started every single match under Deserby, has not scored either. So one of those things where he might be going to Brighton at the perfect time, or this is the perfect time for Brighton to bounce back. Um, so which of the two do you think are we going to see on Saturday? Listen, everybody gives us their best match. We're Chelsea. We're not fucking Newcastle. We're not Spurs. We're not, you know, uh, a second-tier club. We're a top-tier club. So, you know, every anytime we play sides like this, they're going to come out and try to smack us in the mouth in the first 10 or 15 minutes. And, I mean, if, 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 if this isn't enough evidence, just look at what happened against Leeds. Look at what happened against Villa. Um, you know those two teams are in the bottom half of the table and struggling, but yet they come and play Chelsea and they completely fuck us up. So it's totally within the realm of, of, you know, possibility that they could come in and beat us. But I just don't think at this point in time, Grand Potter is ready to get beaten yet. I think he's smart enough to formulate a game plan around the players that he used to coach yep, and that's pick exactly out some. Yeah, and, and, and pick out those weaknesses. I mean, look, between between you and me, I feel like he's way more cerebral than Tuchel is in terms of the in-game adjustments that need to be made. I feel like he identifies them so much quicker. His starting 11 selection isn't the greatest. I will give him that. But even if we come out in this game and Brighton's all over us in the first 10 or 15 minutes... He's going to know exactly what he needs to do to make them feel uncomfortable again. To make Brighton, that is, feel uncomfortable again. So in that respect, I, I, I'm feeling confident, man. I watched Brighton's last match. I, I forget who they played. I think it was Forrest, if I'm not mistaken. It was during the week this week. And I just remember thinking to myself, you know, these guys were keeping clean sheets and scoring goals for fun and, and looking like the real surprise team this year. And now they're just, they look like a borderline relegation side. So, I mean, that's relegation form. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I think, I think it's a little bit, I think the difference between Tuchel and, and Potter is that Tuchel's just got the ego. So he's not going to hit the hit if his players aren't doing what he's supposed they're supposed to be doing, he's just going to say like, Oh, my players didn't do what I asked. And he's going to leave them out there until it's the 75th minute. And you're still tied. I'll Potter doesn't have that ego. He'll, he'll make the changes. So I don't know if I'll call him smarter. I just think it's a, it's a pride sort of thing. I think equal things way higher of himself than Potter ever does. Like Potter will be the first to say like, no, ah, I, sort I of wouldn't up there. I wouldn't say I, I'm not. I didn't mean cerebral, meaning like smarter. I meant cerebral in the sense that, yeah, in the more egotistical way, where you know 
if you look at Graham Potter, he's able to put his ego aside, think about the actual issues, make the obvious changes, at least in his mind, the obvious changes. And then Tuchel, there's no way Tuchel doesn't see what the changes need to be. I mean, he's a smart guy. So he's going to be able to figure that out. But whether or not he does it, I feel like in Tuchel's head, what goes on between his ears is more along the lines of, and this is where the ego kicks in, he probably thinks, this has worked before, it's going to work eventually. Like, just let them play through it. And that's right. And he has sort of that. And we've all had coaches like that, that just like kind of have that play through it mentality and it's going to click. They're kind of system over, they're kind of system and mindset over like actual in game adjustments. You know what I mean? And uh, I mean, you live and die by that. That's just the facts. Well, what do you think? Give me your predictions. Let's hear it. What do you have ready for Saturday? 3 0. I'm going to go 3 0 Chelsea. I think yeah. um, Armando Broja scores another goal. What system are you, th- or not what system, but what formation do you think we'll see Saturday? I think we'll go back four. Kukurea started three or four matches in a row. I know he's come off a lot, but I don't think he's going to play at the weekend. Um, I think you go back four. You could throw Chile on the left. You go Trevo and Tiago in the middle. Dave is obvious choice on the right. And then, I mean, you could take your pick out of the pivots. Jorginho played a pretty exhausting game today. He put in a he put in a good effort. So I would say maybe you could combine like a Kovacic, Gallagher, Kovacic, RLC, and then take your pick out of the front. I just really want to see. I think Kai Havertz will get a start from scoring. Um, it seems like Potter's really starting to gain a little trust in him. And to be fair, I touched on it earlier. He was damn good against Salzburg. So. Yeah, I'll go 3-0 Chelsea. I hope Brojas and Pulisic get the start. Um, Mason Mount's going to come back in, and we'll go back for some variation of a 4-4-2 or 4-3-3. Uh, I think we'll still go back three. I don't know why. I think it'll be... Even if you... you know, Even if it's like, oh, Treble and Thiago, I think Aspie can play right center back, and you slide Treble to the left. Um. Or maybe, or maybe he deploys Chilwell as the third center back and does the whole three-three-three-one. I don't know why. Oh that's, God! I don't know why that's sticking in my head. Where he'll do the whole Pulisic and, and Sterling wide, and and so I I don't know. Something in my head tells me that's it. Um, don't know if he's gonna do that to match Brighton. I, I'm I'm not sure. Something in my head just keeps thinking it's gonna be a weird thing. I think Pulisic deserves another start. Mount will for sure start this weekend's match again. Um, not sure how you get Mount and Kai back in the same side. Now that I think of it, perhaps it is. I actually, I take it back. It is the three triple three one. If you want to really do it all like that, or the four two three one. So again, I'm not sure what the 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 lineup is something in my head is like i don't know why but a back three might happen again uh i'm going to say what i do think three zero again i think like just like you i mean not again i think this team is going to be a little bit fresh uh we've qualified now for champions league for sure not sure if, if we clinched top of the group just yet but 
I think there's good vibes going. I think that we're meshing and and we can slap Brighton about a little bit to kind of get back to winning ways in the Premier League more than anything. It's felt like just draw after draw recently. So I like the three nil the three nil. And uh yeah, just back to winning ways. Let's do it. Three nil and Psalms the weekly two two. So no surprises there. Um, but yeah, I mean, that kind of brings us to the end of the show here, Andy. So if you guys are still listening, uh, make sure you're following us on Twitter at Blues on Parade. We do, tr- we do drop an episode after every match. I know this week we sort of skipped after the Man U match, but guess what? Life happens from time to time, so you got to deal with it. Um, but anyways, um, look out for our questions tweet if you want to be included on the pod. Um, and other than that, Hopefully three more points uh, against Brighton next weekend, and uh, we'll have another happy podcast to record. So until then, keep the blue flag flying high.